When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Waterways. <laughs> yeah, buddy. Waterways. Waterwaystravel.com. Dude, I was so close to Shut being up. in to being in Indo right now. <laughs> Almost booked a trip. Yeah, I got one of these emails from a friend who's like, hey, somebody just dropped out. Check out the swell. It's gonna be pumping. And I was like, oh my God. I was about to throw all responsibilities aside and just go selfishly. But I didn't do it. Had I, though, had I decided to do it, I would have contacted the good people at Waterways Travel. And said, Let me hey, ask you. Hook me up. What prevented you from saying yes? Why didn't you do it? Uh, the real question, the real, I actually would have been there, but there was some um, flight issues because uh. it was such last minute that there was, I would have had to leave like a day. I literally would have had to leave a a day or two days earlier and would have had to hang out in Jakarta for two extra days. And I'm like, okay, that's kind of a deal breaker because it just, it just extended the trip way too long, you know? Yeah. And I was kind of waiting for something to tell me, Hey, something karmically to kind of go, don't go, you know? Cause I'm like in the past, I would have just said, screw it. I'll hang out in Jakarta for two days and play golf or whatever, you know? And, and this, and I was like, okay, you know what? Let's be an adult here. Although I got the green light, like my wife, and I love her to death for this. She's just like, honey, if you want to go, you should go. And I was like, oh my God, I got the green light. And I was ready to go, but the flights didn't line up. Does she ever have like a Freudian slip and be like, honey, please leave. I mean, I mean, yes, you're allowed to go. No, so far she's been good. No Freudian slips, just. so all the all of that planning that you're talking about or um, lack thereof is the reason to use waterwaystravel.com so you don't find yourself stuck in somewhere uh, unnecessarily. I have a buddy right now that's in Cabo or a couple buddies. The waves are totally pumping. They're texting yeah. me today. Um, another buddy or a listener, podcast listener who just emailed, I'm a monthly supporter I buy stuff from you guys sponsors. I'm thrilled to always support. However, it could be bigger and better. Like if you guys put together a surf trip, I would absolutely come on the surf trip with you for listeners. We could even get Alex Gray does the surf experience thing. Get Alex to come on the trip, charge a premium for that. Um, so in the future, we've got we to do waterways. This. Yeah, yeah we, we need to so do this, David. We, we need to plan it and, and sooner rather than waterways later. plan it. Yeah, but I mean, they need to know our dates, like what dates we could set aside. Let's do that because I, I agree. I, and 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 you bringing uh, Alex Gray would be that guy's great. That would be so cool. Kind of the perfect coach, the perfect liaison. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Anyways, waterwaystravel.com. We haven't even touched on it yet, but they're a great partner of the show. They are the leaders in surf. Uh, travel agencies. They've been at it since the mid nineties and have developed, I mean, some of the iconic locations that you have been fawning over for decades now. So, you know, 
You know what? To this what? day, I get my waterways travel calendar each year and hang it up on my wall and look at the killer waves and be like, oh man, I need to get going. There you go. Yeah. Um, so yeah, waterwaystravel.com. Keep them in mind for your next trip. And then of course, realwatersports.com. Also got an email from a listener today who said, quote, uh, my seven five, welcome to the Gulf Coast of Mexico uh, or the Gulf of Mexico. My seven five Maurice Cole reverse V diamond twin and Maurice Cole NVS twin fins are being delivered today, courtesy of Real Water Sports. That email came through this morning. I was like, man, okay, I know Maurice Cole. I know the reverse V stuff, but I don't know this diamond twin. So I go on realwatersports.com, looked it up. It's actually one of the collab boards that Real Water Sports is doing with Maurice. So you can't find it elsewhere. Um, it's a twin fin. They used to have a twin pin model that they did with him. This is a step down from that. So it's better for smaller waves, but it's a twin fin with a diamond tail and channels that looked epic. So it's a great purchase for our listener, Scott. Well, yeah, real water sports. I mean, you go on their site and it's, there's so much cool stuff, so much great surf hardware to, to kind of get, uh, graze through and, and cherry pick, um, you know, might take a screenshot and send it to your significant other and say, Hey, this is the one. I was, <laughs> oh, I saw this great thing the other day on Instagram. And this is what you need to do, by the way, if you're a surfer, um, there's this guy and he's, and his wife gets out of the car and leaves her phone and she goes in to go grocery shopping and he picks up her phone and he just starts talking into it. Real water sports, surfboards by Pizel, Chris Christensen surfboards, Chris Christensen surfboards, <laughs> Channel Island surfboards. I love and just it. just starts speaking into the phone in hopes that when his wife picks up the phone, she gets all these like random ads that just pop up as a hint. He's hacking the algorithm. Exactly. Hacked. Genius. Yeah. Genius. I don't know so how I didn't funny. think of this. It was hilarious. Um, it's like subliminal messaging, whispering subliminal messages into her ear at night, except you're doing it technically. Yeah, that's way more effective this way. All of a sudden, stuff's yeah, totally. just popping up on her feed, like, hmm, that's weird. How much am I getting these? Yeah, exactly. Well, um, I'll post Real Water Sports also does these video reviews of their different board models, and they've got a great one for this Maurice Cole uh, Diamond Twin reverse V diamond twin. So I'll post that in today's notes as well. But uh, yeah, thank you to waterwaystravel.com and realwatersports.com. As we see some movement at the takeoff zone, it's Kelly Slater grabbing rail, a clean entry, this thing holding open, it spits. When it spit me, I thought it was going to spit me off my board. Comes out with the spit, spits him out. Comes out after the spit. Gets spat out of another good looking wave here. Spit, spit, spit. We're just spitballing, right? Yeah, I got it. Yeah, guy. Yeah, guy. Friggin' yeah, guy. You know why? Because, yeah, guy. That's why. Uh, David, it is Spit. It is the Spit podcast where David, Lee Scales, and Scott Best talk all things surf. And it is Tuesday, May 17th, 2022. And you wouldn't believe what I'm doing right now, David. As you I'm going to guess. What are you eating? Strawberries. Strawberry. Oh, I thought they were like donut holes or something. <laughs> I wish. You're pounding strawberries. I'm watching the Manly Longboard Contest. It's good. It's actually good. It's totally good, dude. I was I know, watching it's, it too. It's two feet and blue and glassy and warm. And it's it looks kind of idyllic. And the guys are ripping. 
I agree. So Before I'm, we'll get it, we'll do a deep dive. Yeah, but okay, I know I shouldn't be eating on air, but that's okay. I can't can't stop eating these strawberries. Does everybody know how good the strawberries are in California, or do people around the world have access to this quality of strawberry? I don't think so. Did you pick those strawberries yourself? No, but a local person did. We buy them from like the corner stand where they come from Oxnard, so not that far from here, yeah. and they're like picked probably this morning and shipped yeah. down. But I mean, this is what California should be known for. Yeah, you're living large right now. You got your strawberries, you got your fork. It kind of doesn't get any better than this, really. Talk surfing for, for a living, sitting back in my leather chair. <laughs> hey, on this episode, I've got a special uh, new segment, one of the many segments that we do once and never do again. And yep. it's called, Have You Ever?, David, it's mm. called Have You Ever? And its purpose, I'm hoping, is to, for the listener to sort of, it's an attempt to allow them to get acquainted with us on a deeper level through our surfing experiences. Oh, geez. So have you ever? And, um, and in addition, I've got a little thing on wetsuits, which I found interesting. Okay. Well, tease that. I've got some follow-up from last, well, two weeks ago, I said that Joe Alcianca beat John John Florence at pipe in that famed heat that was yeah. pumping. Mm-hmm. Total, totally misspoke. John won that heat. Um, it's weird when you're filling this much time every week because your brain plays tricks on you. And I remember watch, and so John John did win that heat, but it was really tightly contested. And the trick that my brain played was when I was watching that heat, I thought that Joao's wave was underscored and then John's following wave was actually slightly overscored. And in my head, I was like, man, Joao should have won that heat possibly. Um, But for the record, I misspoke. Joao did not win that heat. John, John did win. And then I'm sorry, but let me just say that I didn't correct you because I had the same thought. I remember watching that heat and going, I think Joao won that heat. Like, yeah. and that, that coming from me, you know, I'm a huge John John fan. Uh, that, that, you know, that doesn't come lightly. Like I was surprised. Well, I wouldn't have been surprised to Jow won that. Heat. It came down to one exchange for me. And I remember it vividly, even though I said it wrong, but uh, Joao got the first wave and it was this crazy double up a wave that nobody would want, would want to go on, had foam on the face. He made this insane drop pulled in got this crazy barrel, made a crazy escape, like coming out so fast that he was almost like falling off his board. And it was in the, I forget the score, but it was in the nine point range. John John was on the very next wave and it was a much more perfect wave. And he took off a little bit on the shoulder and like slid into the barrel. So it wasn't back during the section. It wasn't even taking off on the main peak just slight, I mean, that type of a wave, I think breaks a little farther out and over to the side. So he's where the main peak would have been if it hit the reef kind of closer, but at any rate, he slid into it. So it wasn't as dramatic of a takeoff and it was such a flawless wave that it just wasn't as dramatic period. He surfed it flawlessly as he does, and then got the nod on that exchange. And so I just thought that Joao's wave was a point better and the judges didn't, and that was the discrepancy. And of note regarding that last pipeline event, many will remember perhaps that Joao had a very mean wipeout, I want to say three or four days before the event. And he was 
according to some, rather shaken up. I don't think he would say that. And I remember you and I discussing it. And I basically saying, hey, man, that's the kind of thing that can lurk in the back of your mind. Of course, never occurred. Joel charged harder than anybody or as hard as anybody, I should say, in that event. Yeah, agreed. So another comment uh, came through that I thought was really funny. I don't know how I didn't even think about this, but it was on YouTube from BA1428 said, anybody else on here feel for Scott and the fact that he is always searching for the perfect board and can't find it? Is it better to just be oblivious? Is it better to know nothing about fins? I think so. There's a lot of truth to that. <laughs> this guy is on to something. And uh... it is kind of funny. Like you have more access, you have more quote privilege than anybody else. And you're still just left wanting. Well, here's what's weird about it is that for, I don't know if we were working together back then. I don't think we were, I don't think we even knew each other, but for a solid, I would say three and a half, maybe five years, I rode the same board. Yeah. I, I very rarely, the only time I would ride a different board is if it was big time winter surf, but you know, 85, 90% of the time I was on the same board for about five years. And I've been trying to kind of find that replacement. You know, that board that I just went, oh, my God, this thing kind of does it all. And uh, I'm not sure I'll ever do that. And were you happier? Well, I mean, if you're on the same board for three and a half to five years, I mean, you know, people that surfed with me knew that it, they knew the board I was on. You know, like I was on that board for a long, long time. Yeah. Cut Devin Howard off on that board. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we did know each other then. I remember that. No, this was a long before that when they yeah. were filming. Uh, and I don't say this. I'm not proud of this. I'm just it's just funny because Devin and I are good buddies. But they were filming one California day. And I remember they all showed up and propped up their cameras and everything and got all hot and bothered. And I was like, what? I think I was out by myself. And, and four guys invaded. And I was like, oh, this isn't cool, man. So that's why you burned him. It was intentional. No, well, I mean, it was immature of me for sure. You know, like I said, it's not something I'm proud of, but looking back on it, it's kind of funny and weird. Well, I, I don't I remember Devin told me that story and was like, and I have the footage. Now you have footage. They've got footage. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I never I'd love saw to hear De footage. I'd love to hear Devin's version. Devin's version is probably closer to the truth, which is, you know. Yeah. It's not my proudest moment. Let me just put it that one. I never but this saw this is a great finish. lead in to have you ever, actually. <laughs> it's a great story. I mean, period. I'd love to hear his version of it. Um, um, yeah. So you want to go into have you ever? Yeah, sure. And or the longboarding thing, whatever you want. Okay. So have you ever? David, you're going to answer these questions. And these just kind of came to me. And, and, and if you want me to answer them, I can answer them too. But are there any stakes in this? Do I have to like do something if I have or haven't? No, 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 no. And, and this is pretty self-centric. It's not like, so some of it might, I don't know. I just started writing this stuff out because I thought it, I was like, oh, you know, how do they, how do the listeners get to know us a little better through our surfing experiences? Okay. David, what's the longest you've walked to get to waves? Oh, man. I mean, right off the top of my head, I hate to admit it, but lower trestles is uh, <laughs> right up there with the lengthiest, a mile, I suppose. Okay. I can't think of where I would have walked that's farther than that. What about you? Um, yeah, probably a little bit north of a mile. I remember 
the reason I wrote that one is because I, I was down at Pasquale's and there was no ways of Pasquale's, but I was looking up at this beach called Paraiso, which is the next town north. And I'm like, I'm walking up there. I see whitewater, you know? Yeah. yeah and I yeah. walked up there and it was far enough so that when I was finished, I took a cab back to Pasquale's. So it was for sure at least a mile. I bet it was longer. So I remember when I was probably 16 years old, my mom took me to go visit a friend in Santa Cruz. And uh, I brought a buddy with me because we were both getting into surfing. We had heard about Santa Cruz and stuff, you know, seen it in the magazines. And her friend lived, uh, wasn't close to the beach. It wasn't like a super long, but my mom drove us and dropped us off at Stephen Lane. And she was going to come back and pick us up later. And for whatever reason, we decided to walk home instead of wait for our ride. And I remember that being much, much longer. And when you're 16, I don't think I had my driver's license yet. So I just was not aware of distances. And in my head, she dropped us off there. That car ride only took 10 minutes. How long could it possibly take to walk, you know? But we were in our wetsuits and booties walking the whole way. And it was like far enough to where we get to a certain point and people are driving by looking at us like going, what are these kids doing? They're nowhere near the beach. Why are they wearing their wetsuit and boots? So that might've been longer than a mile. I would imagine that was much longer than a mile. This segment has already paid off dividends. This is, I can see you miles from nowhere walking past coffee shops with your full suit on. And the more I think about it as I'm telling it, because I've never even thought about this story since it happened, but how did we even know where we were going? I'm sure that we probably walked longer than we needed to because we didn't have GPS and I had never been to that person's house before. So there's that. And then how did my mom know not to come pick us up? Or maybe she did go back to pick us up and realized we weren't there. Yeah, Things were so much more complicated without cell phones. You just winged yeah. it, you know? You fully winged it and you pulled it yeah. off. Yeah, yeah, totally. Okay, here's the next one, bros. Have you ever paddled in because you were spooked? Not, no, not because I'm spooked. And I say, I would say I've only actually paddled in twice in my life. And uh, every fiber of my being was fighting against doing it. But the waves were just that, you know, inconsistent. And my timeline, I like, I had to get in for whatever the appointment was. And I pushed it way past my limit uh, because it's a policy to never paddle in. But I've never paddled in from being spooked. Well, the other day I was surfing uh, at the river mouth and a dolphin jumped up next to me, landed right next to me, probably four feet away, a big one too. I didn't see it. I knew the, there was a dolphin coming into the wave, but I was paddling for the wave. So I just didn't happen to see it, but another guy did. And I didn't catch the wave. I pulled back. And as I was paddling back out, that same dolphin came back and jumped again, real close to me. But the story is, probably 25 years before that, when I was in high school, I was out on one of these gray, overcast, obviously winter, cold sort of onshore wind, nobody around, just me at a spot with cliffs. I felt very alone. And I was sensing, you know, sometimes you get the idea of shark in your head. And, yeah, and so my imagination was running wild. And there was dolphins lurking around too and splashing. So that didn't help. And I told you the story before, but you know, about 10 feet away, four, four dolphins all at the same time, as if they're in a SeaWorld act, jumped out of the water together, 
right in front of me, dove, you know, five feet in front of me and just full speed right underneath me. And I was like, okay, I'm out of here. I was, it was either like they were trying to tell me something or they yeah, were attacking they were something. Me, yeah, something. But I split. They will. I've heard of that before is that they will attack a shark. And uh, so that sounds like what they might have been doing. I don't know if there was any sharks. I just know that four dolphins in a SeaWorld act in front of me with no one around. I was like, okay, this, this is, they're te- they're, I'm out of here. I don't know why, yeah. but I'm not digging this. Something's up. I, um, I feel like I've told this story too. This happened in the amount of time that we've been recording this podcast, but uh, I was surfing in Huntington one evening. It was a sunset. Sun had already gone down. So there was only myself and two other guys out. And those two other guys beelined it. They like caught, they caught a wave together, like a party wave and took off in. And it was real abrupt. Like I remember we were all sitting there. It wasn't a set this kind of small crappy wave came and all of a sudden I saw them battling for it. And I'm like, why are they so aggressive? And then they both rode it in together. And I thought that was weird. And then eventually shortly thereafter, another wave came and I got that and surfed it in and I got to the beach and they go, Hey, did you see that shark? I was like, no, what they go, you were looking out at sea and we saw this fin pop up and beeline straight towards you. And so we just caught the very next wave in and bailed. Like a wave was coming. We just bailed on that wave. I was like, dude, you could have said something to me, you know? And they're like, well, obviously he didn't attack, but he did. It wasn't going up and down like a dolphin. It was a fin that popped up and just went straight at you and your back was turned to it. And uh, so, but I, you know, I went in on my own accord. I didn't go in because of being spooked. It just happened to get a wave in. Right, right. So Okay. I've got another one for you here. Have you ever defecated in your full suit? Uh, so is that no. a yes? <laughs> that, that's a no, but I am surprised at how many people I know defecate in the ocean and I'm not necessarily in their full suit. In your, in your well, full suit. No, I don't know anybody who's done that, but I do know people who will pull it down. All right. Why have you? <laughs> you wouldn't have even asked this unless you've done it. Why Perhaps. would you? Accidentally? Just a gnarly bowel movement occurred and there was no like there was no pulling down the wetsuit available. It was just like people were around or I forget, you know, like something went down, but I know I went into the shore break, you know, and like rinsed it out. Yeah. Wait, so that's a bad think tummy was, ache, bros. But did you think it was just going to be a fart or you knew? No, no we knew this was. We knew. Flag. Who's yeah, we? we? Me and my ego. <laughs> we knew. <laughs> I knew. Uh, what myself age were and you? I, I mean, 25. I don't oh, know. okay. So you had full control of your bowels at that point. This isn't like an old man story or something. No, no, no. no this hasn't <laughs> happened. In the past 20 years, probably. What had you been doing the night before? Something probably bad. Who knows? Yeah. I think that's probably more of the story here. Yeah. Um, man, that's unbelievable. So did anybody in the lineup get alerted? No, I I did a pretty good job of just, you know, trying to, you know, camouflage the situation. By diluting? By, yeah, just doing it quick. 
like you know whipping off the full suit rinsing putting the full suit on which is very difficult to do you now have a wet wetsuit it's cold yeah. 60 degree water or whatever you know wintertime morning how long until that smell gets fully flushed out of your suit weeks uh, who says you want to get it flushed out Jesus. <laughs> you're not kidding about people getting to know you in this show um, oh so I so again I've not ever done the aqua dump thing yeah. um, even in trunks or anything I've just never had I guess that same compulsion that you had I've always uh, I don't think taken it was care a of it compulsion before. David it was more like there was no choice there was no this was a gotcha. situation where it was just it was it was bad I had a bad time I had muy mal you know a stomach of muy mal I understand um my cousin he was like my best friend when we were getting into surfing we'd surf together all the time he's one year younger than me we were surfing newport one time it was like 54th street area and sure enough he paddled out unexpectedly didn't say anything paddled like 30 yards beyond where any waves were breaking and pulled down his wetsuit and the water was freezing and i was just like what is he up to and sure enough he paddled back in he was like i had to take a dump so bad i'm like dude we're surfing newport you're 30 yards from the sand there's public <laughs> restrooms on the other side of seashore or whatever that street is you're just as close to the public restrooms as you are to paddling out but okay whatever i guess it's just a story yeah. um so right, pretty funny well, okay i've got a bunch of these but we'll just do one more this time okay well, okay, and I was going to suggest listeners call in or write in and offer your own. Yeah, that's a great idea. Um, have you ever broken a bone while surfing? I've never broken a bone, period, full stop, surfing wow. or not. I know. Wow, knock on wood. I know. I have a feeling they will break at some point in my life. Yeah. Just maintained reasonable density until now. What about you? Um, I have not broken a bone i have dislocated my shoulder yeah while surfing on a wipeout or what yeah i was at south sepuetas um it was that big winter day in january i want to say 30th or 31st 1998 or 97 big el nino day and a guy cut me off and i had to straighten out when I straightened out, the entire lip landed on me and just tore my shoulder out of its socket, went all the way down to my side. So my arm's now down by my side. Jeez. I got one arm and it's, it's 12 feet. It's pumping eight to 12 feet. My arm just automatically like moves up and slides back into its spot. I'm like, Oh, oh, oh cool. my gosh. I can, I can paddle, you know, I start to paddle, just pops right out. Subluxation of the left shoulder pops out again and so i this would be a good have you ever i i kind of want to say no i did get rescued more or less by um jimmy hogan and um i think jason bennett from chemistry surfboards yeah and um and another, i think nate Sintos from uh point loma if you know nate i think those three guys kind of helped because it was like like if you know south Sepuetas, the tide was starting to fill back in and it's like right there on the rocks. Like it was not a, an easy situation to deal with. Yeah. That's insane. Yeah. Um, I always think about that too. When people get, you know, you see like um, a skier or snowboarder ragdolling down a mountain or in 
wipeouts too in surfing where on the first impact where you sustain the injury, but the body keeps ragdolling after that, your brain has to just click into, I don't know, adrenaline kicks in or something to where if you could actually feel the intensity of each subsequent impact, you would die from the pain, right? I mean. Yeah, I think you're right. There's like a flight or a fight or flight type of thing that kicks in with adrenaline. and It's got to. Yeah, it does. It does. Your yeah. body's amazing that way. So did you, um, was that the end of your trip? It wasn't, a, it was just a day surf session. Yeah, it was, oh, okay. I had totally scored out of my brain. Like I was, it was, this was in the afternoon, you know, like past one or two o'clock. I, I had absolutely was getting good because I had gotten down there early and I was more or less, there was just like six or eight of us in the water for a couple of hours and the tide was starting to go low and it was, so we got, I got some good, I mean, it was a really unfortunate situation, but. Um, Did you say anything to the dude that burned you? No, but I think a year or two years later, I went back down and that same guy was out and I, I told him and he was like, whatever, you know, like, he's like, it wasn't. Are me. you and kidding? I'm like, yeah, it was just random. He was there too. You know, back then it was like, look, there's South Sepuetas is breaking. You were on it, you know? And uh, I remember seeing the guy and going, Hey man, whatever I said, I don't even remember exactly, but I remember he was like, there wasn't me. How do you know? Blah, 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 deal with it. Or what? You know, he was oh like some gosh. older La Jolla guy or some point. Moment. I don't know. It was just some San Diego guy. That, but he was all defensive. Yeah. But Wild. You know, maybe I deserved it. Who knows? Well, I'll use that as a segue. Um, did you see that story that Stab did about Caitlin Simmers being roasted on the Gold Coast before she won that event? I don't think I saw this, no. So uh, the story was really to say that she's getting burned by 50-year-old dudes and then cussed at, and she's a 16-year-old girl. So Caitlin oh Simmers, That's our beloved, as we've learned, Oceanside, it's Caitlin Simmers, um, who's one of the most impressive up-and-coming young professional females she turned down her spot on the CT this past year because she felt like she wasn't ready to spend all of her time competing on the road. But she found herself in Australia for the Challenger Series event. She, the inaugural event at Snapper, she ended up winning that event. But in the week leading up to the event, she was free surfing around Greenmount. And um, so the story that Stab wrote was about that experience free surfing and how many times she was getting burned. And in one particular instance they have a quote from the guy that burned her this dude's in his 50s this is a 16 year old girl and he says go home you ginger bitch take that red bull and shove it up your ass she has a red bull sticker oh my god (laughs) a man in his 50s and she's a 16 year old girl and and so Soli bailey who's also sponsored by o'neill and which she is who was there kind of like chaperoning her told the guy off, like put the guy in his place and was just like, you're, you're such a kook, you know? And (laughs) thankfully, and Caitlin seemed to laugh about it because in her quote on the stab piece, she was like, I had to give the guy of all the things that people said to me that week, I had to give that guy creativity points for the creativity. Um, But I had a couple of thoughts on this. First of all, it's laughable that, 
a 50 year old male would be saying this. This follow-up thought that might be more interesting for you and my discussion is just when I grew up surfing, that's how people talk to me. I got roasted endlessly. I was underaged. So it didn't matter how old or how young you were. It was part of, I mean, really the rite of passage is getting roasted by older people. And so I thought maybe this is the ultimate equality where this guy doesn't care if she's underage. This guy doesn't care that she's a girl. This guy is snapping no matter who you are. You know what I mean? He doesn't see race, doesn't see gender, doesn't see age. He's going to snap because that's what the older grumpy dudes in the lineup do. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I hope that that's the case, actually, right? I hope that, but my thoughts on that is that this is just a sad story. Like, I'm saddened by this. The lack of humanity here is a bummer, you know? And, and frankly, to be blunt, you know, it's kind of like, but for the grace of God, there go I. I mean, you know, we can be such selfish pricks. It's unbelievable. And, and you know, at some point in my surfing career, was I capable of being that guy? And the answer, sadly, is yes. Yeah. Now, I, I never did that, but. Did it to Devin Howard. It's on tape. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, but I mean, that's embarrassing. Like, if you're 50 years old and you're screaming at a kid, you know, like. Yeah. You got to check yourself. Like, something's wrong. Like, there's something going There's something way deeper uh, going on there. There's. There's so some, then we have to have sympathy for him because well, I agree I, with you. I, I feel I totally like the guy needs to eat psilocybin mushrooms or something. Like his ego needs to be deflated. I totally agree with you. It's an indicator of mental health issues. You know what I yeah. mean? Like yeah. if, if you're at a point in your life where, first of all, it's a wave. Caitlin Simmers didn't bitch slap his wife or his daughter. You know what I mean? Like it's a wave that he's upset about. So, well, no, but it's not. See, it's, it's more about. It's it's about his persona, his place in the yeah, lineup, his his entitlement that he feels that he has, his the eighty years that he spent at that spot drinking coffee and bullshitting with his buddies. It's it's like all of that stuff isn't being in his mind. Caitlin isn't going. Oh, you're that guy. Caitlin's just like out surfing, right. you know. But right. he expects her to be, to like kiss the ring and show so much respect and. And it's not like she wasn't, but that's what he's expecting. He has all exactly. of these built up things in his brain. And so that's where you then have to acknowledge that mental illness or just, I mean, if, even if it's not like a proper illness, just, just a certain lapse in uh, his mental acuity is taking place. Because if you're in your right mind, you can never justify having that type of a response to a 16 year old kid, male or female, you know? And so, man, that guy is really, really going through something or is actually ill. And uh, just like you see a mentally ill person homeless on the street, yelling at a tree or something, you know? Um, So then do we start having sympathy for him? Is that where this all goes? I don't know. It's weird. You know, and then of course you mentioned, um, option number two which is he was just yelling he'll yell at anybody it wasn't really you know so does that make it any less it makes it yeah that's less offensive because if his thought is just like um 
but it's still I play the same. this. I think it's, it's kind of yeah, kind of is. But if he's if it's just like, look, I'm playing this role, and we're in a hunter gatherer microcosm out here, and yeah. there needs to be this role played to keep a certain packing order and to protect the crowd, you know, like to prevent yeah. it from getting overcrowded. Even yeah. though that's a lost cause at the, on the Gold Coast. Well, it's really interesting because when you look at it like that, like how many times have I seen that older guy do that little snappy thing on somebody? And I'm kind of going, oh, that's good. That's actually a good thing because it's going to create some, some like dis-ease in the lineup and things are probably going to settle down a little bit. And now we know who the alpha is, even though he's a dick. And I'm glad I didn't have to be that guy. I get to just kind of like ride on his coattails underneath it all. And the lineup got way less crowded all of a sudden. I... I maybe have I'm a lot worse of, than he is. Well, I have a lot of um, criteria that has to be met for me to feel the way that you feel. Yeah. If the local snapped on somebody who stepped out of line, yeah, and he was creating the boundaries yeah. that we yeah. all agree to, yeah. then I'm totally okay with him playing the enforcer role. But if it's snapping on, you know, uh, a child or somebody who come, somebody's in a position of um i don't know what the word is but where well, they're it's, it's, subject they're vulnerable if they're yeah, if they're a vulnerable you. person whether they're a beginner or weaker right. than or they're feeling uncomfortable or anything like that then i sympathize with the victim in this scenario but if it's like some bravado 20 year old shredder who's like trying to peacock in the lineup i'm totally fine with that person getting yeah. punked by the older person yeah yeah and do we know the backstory with Caitlin? Maybe she was going, like, is there any situation where the guy was right? Like that we no. don't know about, like as far as the backstory. Well, so there I'm conflating a couple of stories because there was a few instances that they covered. And so it might've been this one. I think it was, she kicked out of a wave and he was paddling over the wave and they bumped rails. You know, it's oh. so crowded in that lineup that when she kicked out, her rail bumped his and she immediately apologized. And then he snapped on her. Oh, you're kidding. Oh, no, okay. This guy's, this guy's a complete idiot. <laughs> and then the other footage they showed was her getting burned. And the guy who burned her pulled into the tube, didn't make it. And then she said like, hey, what's up with that or whatever. And he scoffed and goes, if I wasn't, if I couldn't make it from where I was, there's no chance you were going to make it because you were deeper. And the irony is she goes on to win the event that year or that, that next week. So she very well could have made that tube. I've seen her surf. She's incredible, you know, <laughs> but. Oh man. Surfers are the worst. The gold coast is the worst. dude. That's what this is. <laughs> There's so um, much good surf on the gold coast though. This is just one little zone. Yeah, totally. Um, so WLT world longboarding tour event. Number one's kicking off in Manly. Uh, you're obviously watching the first couple of days of the event. They actually did not live stream it. There was no way to watch the longboard fans on the internet revolted. And so I'm wondering if now the fact that they are streaming it was in response to the internet, or if they were always planning to stream the pointy end of the contest, Do you know? Well, let, let me apologize right now to the WSL because I sort of tuned in with a, um, told you so sort of attitude. Like I was hoping to tune in and go, see, there's guys wanking it on longboards in really crappy waves. And this is the worst of the worst, you know, 
And I think even Devin would agree that what we're seeing is really contestable, really good longboard waves with super high quality surfing. I've only watched a couple of heats. Harrison Roach is coming up next. And um, I just watched um, the Hawaiian, uh, I think it's Connelly Stewart. I forget how to pronounce his first name. I apologize. But anyway, I've been watching some great, super classy, super classic longboarding, great hang tans from all sorts of guys, guys from Peru. And um, like, just, I guess what I'm saying is, I'm excited to see that the judging criteria has continued to carry over and that the, the form that these surfers are using is the type of, of surfing that, that we all think that longboard surfing should sort of emulate. Well, it's interesting how this conversation about high performance longboarding versus traditional longboarding is analogous, but exactly the opposite of the conversation that we've had in the shortboard realm for the last decade where when people started going to the air, the argument was you have to uh, give scores to the progressive surfing, you know, floater gate that we discussed last week. You have to give scores. The judging was old school. You have to give scores to the new school. But when we talk about longboarding, it's the exact opposite. Phil Rasman's trying to blow the tail and we're like, cut it out, Phil. We don't want to score that. Just get up on the nose and hang 10. It's funny. Yeah. Yeah. But it's just the, you know, the way these two types of boards need to be. Agreed. Right. Totally agree. Um, I, it's funny, a couple, I noticed a year ago on Netflix, you know how they have all these different browsing categories. Yeah. New releases, trending now, drama, comedy. They added a new category a year ago that was casual viewing because so much of the audience is like looking at their phone while they're watching. And if you're watching Ozark, you want, that's not casual viewing. Ozark is I need to stare and watch, absorb every single line. Yeah. But there are a lot of shows that are perfect for looking at your phone. I feel like longboarding is the perfect casual viewing experience. <laughs> it's like, it's um, almost uh, non-viewing. You know what I mean? Like have it on in the background glance up every once in a while. I don't need a ton of commentary about it. Even I can just kind of have the volume down and be doing other things and then glance yeah. up every once in a while. Yeah. Passive viewing. All right. I, I think that all surfing contests are probably casual viewing. That's true. Um, I will say though, that I did turn the commentary on and it was rabbit in the booth and Kaipo and Stace Galbraith was on the beach. And I thought to myself, the fact that the WSL is putting the a like the same commentators that they use in the CT events, the fact that they're taking this seriously makes me respect it more. It makes me kind of take it more seriously. I want to hear what Rabbit had to say. They cut to Stace. I'm like, I appreciate Stace. I want to hear what he has to say. So I, I was more engaged because they were taking it seriously. Yeah, I think I had that sense too. I didn't actually even listen. I have it turned off. But when I saw Rabbit in the booth, I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. He's going to have some great um, experience and his own legacy to draw on his, his own experience to draw on here. Um, so, yeah. And they were good. Like I, while I actually had a, the volume on everything that they talked about was engaging. They had the conversation about the value of high performance versus old school. They were talking about different fin setups, you know, and what uh, defense. Can, can I cut a, in right there? Because I, what the misconception is, is that, 
old school longboarding isn't high performance. And I disagree. I think what these guys are doing is harder, much harder to do than riding a tri-fin longboard and just doing bottom turns and floaters. Like getting super long tens with those 50-50 railed boards, it's pretty difficult, you know, and, and turning them is difficult. Now, you know, anyway, that's all I got to say. I, I don't like the idea that we're separating it like, one is high performance, therefore the other is low performance just by, you know, default. Um, and because I think that the classic longboarding is super high performance. Now, how you define that, okay, you know. I, I think it's being redefined because you're seeing the heat that I watched, uh, the first heat of the day, I think it was, Ben Skinner and Phil Rasman. They're blending the two styles, you know, like they're doing the 10 and then cracking the end section, not just floating the end section, but actually trying to crack it. And so, um, yeah, there okay. could be there could be a uh, blending of styles. Okay, fair enough. By the way, Joel Tudor came back on Instagram hot against the WSL a couple days no ago. No way, no yeah. way, really? What, did, what, what went down? So I told you, when I asked Devin about uh, how long Joel's suspension was going to be, it was for a year, but how they, whether it'll last more than a year is going to be dictated by how he um, behaves during this year of suspension. Right. <laughs> so a couple of days before this event started, he took to Instagram and said, quote, first event for longboard tour starts in a few days. As per usual, the ding-dongs at the WSL hasn't haven't given any advertisements or posts regarding it. Good luck to all the men and women competing. Bet you 20 bucks it goes back to the high-pro wanking as style of choice that now Devin Howard has resigned. Here's the great Gary Proper showing how it's done, and it's a picture. Um, yeah, so... The ding-dongs well, look, at the WSL. It's early. This, this thing could still devolve. It, it is early, you know. Um, you know, if I, I don't know about Manly, but if Manly gets six feet, it's probably not – we're probably not going to be having this conversation. We're probably going to be going, this is lame, or it's just not the greatest venue for showcasing what these people are, are capable of doing, what these professional athletes are capable of doing. But we'll see. It's early. Um, do you know what – in, in regard to the judging criteria, do you know what the equivalent of the shortboard tours speed, power, and flow criteria is on the longboard tour? No. Do you? I hope you have it. Yeah, it's not a joke. Um, this is style, flow, and grace. Right on. Like your hair. So, thank you. I think that's a way for them to encapsulate whatever the type of surfing is as long as it has style, flow, and grace. So if you're able to bust the fins out of the lip, if it has style, flow, and grace, then it's hard to deny. Can you have a graceful fin busting off the lip on a performance longboard? Is that ever going to be graceful? I don't know. There's a lot of things that I never would have uh, conceived of on a shortboard that are now being done that I have to acknowledge, you know? So maybe. All right, we'll see. It's an Let open ended question. Yeah. It's an open question. The ding dongs at the WSL is my favorite <laughs> quote. <laughs> That's pretty good. I mean, what an insult, you know? Like, you have to laugh at it. It's not even offensive. It's just so childish. It's so funny. <laughs>
<laughs> oh my lord the ding dongs <laughs> uh speaking of commentators let's just acknowledge for a minute Potts is gone strider is gone barton uh said that he's not that he was asked i i forget how he worded it something to the effect of they're trying out different things and uh he is no longer needed or something like that and strider posted something similar a couple of events back so really? any thoughts on this yeah um well look i'm all i'm okay with trying out you know new commentators new broadcasters i think there's good talent out there that needs to be you know i don't I don't have a problem as an end user trying to get a better product, you know, hope, right. hoping to get a better product. Uh, that, and that's not to say that Barton or Strider aren't good at what they do. Um, certainly Strider has gotten way better. And um, I think there's really great moments when, when Strider's, you know, really in his element and there's moments when he's not. And I think that's probably the case with, with a lot of commentators, but um, like I said, I'm okay with them putting new people in the booth. I frankly think that Shannon does a pretty good job. It's not I easy. Great. I know there's moments where, you know, um, you know, there's after, you know, eight hours of broadcasting, you're not going to be perfect for the entire eight hours, but she does a pretty damn good job. Like, Shannon, like you said, better than damn good. Shannon Hughes is a welcome addition. And I think she's a plus. I think she's a pro. Yeah. And it surprised, it surprised me. I don't know why I had some preconceived thing that, but she just slid right in. And I think part of what it is, is that she's a really good listener, mm. you know, and that's kind of the key to being a good conversationalist is being a really good listener. Mm. I'm just going to listen it. Yep. I agree. Keep going. Yeah. Look me in the Say eyes. More. Yeah. Okay. Let's go um, to this. Okay. Go ahead. I was, no, go ahead. I was going to suggest, do we go to commercial break real quick? Sure. We can do that. It's mid it's mid show. It's beyond okay. mid-show. Let's go to commercial. We'll be back with half number two. When you're hiring for a small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role, and there's no faster or effective way than through LinkedIn jobs. Your time and capital are precious, and there is a powerful resource that can help you focus on what you're good at and integrate people into your team seamlessly to help grow your business. LinkedIn Jobs has created the tools to find the right professionals for your team efficiently and for free. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. Everyone is already on LinkedIn with their resumes and references, and now LinkedIn has designed a hiring platform to connect you with candidates specifically qualified for the job that you post about. More than a billion professionals meticulously organized to connect people by skill set to help us all advance our position. 2.5 million businesses already use LinkedIn for hiring, and 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. It's that fast, easy to use, and effective. LinkedIn Jobs can help you write job descriptions, filter the right person to you, and give you the tools to help you interview them like a pro. LinkedInjobs.com surf is where you go to post your job for free. Yes, totally free that's linkedinjobs.com slash surf to post your job for free terms and conditions apply ag1 baby ag1's part of my morning breakfast routine you know i'm doing intermittent fasting i usually have my first meal at around 11 a.m and 
and I make up some food and AG1 is right there, my liquid nutrient. Can I tell you what my favorite thing about that combination is of uh, intermittent fasting with AG1? Please do. I don't know what percentage to attribute to the intermittent fasting or the AG1, but I used to have highs and lows throughout the day, like in terms of my energy level. And I mean, significant, you know, like yeah, yeah. when, when I'm hungry, I am just uh, low energy start getting obviously emotionally <laughs> distressed, anger and stuff like that. But then I would eat and I would feel also lethargic, low energy. And so there's just a little bit in between those meals where I actually feel optimal health. And just, I didn't like experiencing those ups and downs. I feel like AG1 keeps me on like an even keel. If I, especially if I do it in the morning, cause I think it, um, absorption, is better when you're on an empty stomach. So if I do it first thing in the morning, I notice throughout the meal, much more even keeled. I don't get starving. And then when I do eat my meals, lower or smaller portions, I'm not eating as much. And so I don't have that lethargy that I would have with a big meal. Um, so overall, just more calm power throughout the day. You know, funny, unique little anecdote, AG1 anecdote. I went to Indiana a couple of weeks ago for my daughter's graduation and she went off to school and we gave her some of the travel packs that AG1 sends us. Mm -hmm. sends us. And, um, and I go there a couple of weeks ago and I meet her boyfriend's parents and her boyfriend's parents are mixing up AG1. And I'm like, what? And they're like, yeah, we've been doing this for years. And my daughter's like, oh yeah, dad, I forgot to tell you. I was mixing up AG1 and they're like, oh, you like AG1 too? Like randomly, not because Amazing. of my daughter, they're just into AG1. They're drinking Amazing. AG1 in Indiana. Yeah. Amazing. And he said, basically, the reason I'm reminded is he said the same thing too, like that his energy level just, it, it, it stays uh, yeah. know, at the same level and it's a good level and it, and it keeps him going throughout the day. And, and um, yeah. AG1, baby. I agree. You just feel better. Yeah. I don't know that they even advertise that detail, but that's just something that I've identified. So I'm glad to hear him too. Uh, well, at any rate, our portal to support our work and to find optimal health is athleticgreens.com slash surf. David, there was a study done. I don't know. Did you see Outside Magazine? This came to me in no. an email. I have a Google Alerts thing for the quote unquote surfing industry. And usually they're just like these lame things like, you know, boy attacked by, you know, bull shark in South Carolina or something. And, uh, but I got one today and it's outside magazine. And it says something like two scientists, two researchers are out to change the way wetsuits are made. And it's basically, I'm going to break it down real quick, but it's a study by Cal State San Marcos, which is right here, actually my alma mater right out here in you know, just east of me. And the study is um, basically most modern wetsuits, David, pad the wetsuits core area with more thickness of neoprene. And they decrease the thickness of neoprene, obviously, in the extremities, the arms and the legs. And these two professors concluded that perhaps this was not the best design. And their study suggests that the average surfer doesn't need extra millimeters around their core Instead, they need the thickest neoprene over the lower half of their body, the calves, the thighs, the stomach, the lower back. These are the regions that are submerged in the water for the most amount of time, according to their study. And consequently, the areas that lost the most heat. 
Those regions also received the least exposure to the sun because they're underneath and um, weren't utilized as much as the upper body is during um, paddling. So the data showed a difference of nearly 18 degrees between the warmer upper back and the colder skin of the lower extremities over a 40 minute surf session. When you shunt blood, and I quote, when you shunt blood away from the extremities, the underlying skeletal muscle suffers, said the professor. That's part of why sprinters engage in hour long warmups to circulate warm blood to the legs and the arms. The last thing you want that sprinter to do is sit in an ice bath for 15 minutes before their sprint. The current findings suggest the upper body wetsuit design should be tailored more toward mobility while thermal insulation should be paramount over the lower body. Now guess who's part of this whole process? They, Hurley came in before Hurley was uh, purchased. No, Hurley and when Hurley was with Nike, they brought in and did some of the study with these professors. They are now, these professors are now working with Florence Marine X. So I reached out to Florence Marine X. I'm like, are these the suits that were used in the study I just read about? Like, can I buy one of these right now, you know? And they're like, yeah, these are basically the suits. Now they don't market it like that. Like they don't go, hey, this is the suit, which they market it um, that's something more palatable to your average surfer, like, hey, killer, you know, whatever it is they say. They don't kind of go into the fact that this wetsuit was designed with this research in mind. But what are your thoughts on a wetsuit that has like, let's just say three millimeter all the way through the legs and two millimeter from say the chest up and including the arms, which according again to this research done by Cal State San Marcos is the optimal way to design a wetsuit? I don't know. Uh, the design, as far as I always understood was for your joints. So you put the thicker part of the wetsuits where you're not bending essentially right and then the thinner parts are around your joints where you need mobility um so that makes perfect sense to me the idea that the bottom half of your body needs more warmth than the upper half i don't know if that's entirely true i think if anything for what i know about just anecdotal uh, evidence of your own thank you is your extremities do need the most warmth. So it makes sense to keep your head, your hands and your feet the most protected. And we don't really do much for that. That's the last thing that we cover in surfing, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. But but where the wetsuit covers, uh, do you think like say from the belly button down, instead of that being two millimeter, now that's all three millimeter. I guess. I mean, if the science That's checks out. That's what the out. study says. This is what the study says. I don't know either, which is why I was like, I'm going to see if this is true. Like I'm willing to throw $900 at a wetsuit just to see if this is in fact the case, you know, because they yeah. designed Florence Marine X designed a suit basically going, yeah, we, we did the study with them. We funded the study. This is, this is what the results are. Yeah. I don't know. It's interesting. I guess yeah. mobility. And the other question is where do you, choose to sacrifice mobility for warmth at, at what you know at what temperature at what millimeter because yeah i would prefer to be warmer always except if i can't bend you know then i'm why you got to find a kind of compromise a meeting ground yeah i, th I feel like the, the really high-end rubber these days is so good that a three millimeter isn't it's not like in the old days where you you felt really restricted by certain thicknesses yeah, three is not going to be the deal breaker. Four and five, you start to get 
you start to so notice a it. Four mil from the from the belly button down would maybe be a deal breaker for you. You feel like you might not be getting the the elasticity or the, the yeah. mobility that you would require to serve. Well, you well. would you would notice the difference at four for sure, right? Well, we don't know. We're just saying that we don't know. But I'm see. My thing is is that my, actually you mentioned hands and feet. My feet friggin' get cold quick, and I'm wondering if I had thicker, warmer legs that would result in not having this numb foot. I walk around like, you know, Daniel Day Lewis. I want you to <laughs> my left foot. I want you to show up in the winter with trunks on, booties, gloves and a hood. <laughs> That's the I look don't I put it see. past me. I'm not, you know, but, and I also need, you know what I need? I need a friggin' custom booty. I have never found a booty that cuz I have freaky like crazy like I have a gnarly bunion on my right foot from where my foot like leans over for 40 years of surfing I just have this big bulbous like alcoholic nose on my foot and no booty has the it, it just everything constricts like I put the booty on and my feet go numb quicker because the blood's yeah. restricted right and I'm jonesing I think I'm gonna have to just have somebody stitched me up a custom booty yep that's the solution unfortunately enough about me that's the solution um so would you like to offer your congratulations to sasha jane lowerson do you know who this is did she win one of our surfboard giveaways nope she did not Sa sasha jane sasha so me, jane lowerson can you give me a hint I'm just going to read the headline to you. Okay. Surfing's first competitive transsexual surfer, Sasha Jane Lowerson, has continued her dream run through the women's division of the Western Australian longboard titles, winning the Open Gals crown easily. In the final, Lowerson, a 43-year-old strawberry blonde who has ridden, quote, stupidly big Waimea, and who also won the male division of the Western Australia longboard titles in 2019 as Ryan Egan uh, before transitioning comboed one of the surfers in the final and the three other gals needed nine pluses to win. Lowerson said, quote, to be the first trans woman competing in surfing hasn't been an easy ride emotionally, but the amount of support that I've been showed has been phenomenal. And I've been so grateful to be involved, welcomed, and embraced within the longboard community in Australia. End quote. Hmm. Take it. Where do we go? Take it, know. Scott. Take us this away. Is, this is this is a hot button topic. Talk about easily putting my foot in my mouth here. Um, I. I have kind of a problem with this. I got to say, I don't think it's, I mean, why do we even have men's and women's divisions? Like, let's just have one fat division then. Like, well, the, the art, the obvious again, answer to I, that and is. I apologize in advance because I'm going to sound ignorant. You know, like I'm not, I'm trying to be empathetic and compassionate and understanding of all this. Like I'm not here to like draw a hard line. I frankly don't understand the issue. I'm, I'm, I'm not the guy to talk to, but my gut tells me it doesn't seem fair 
that a guy who I think, I think the males, males are generally stronger than females. Yeah. At least that's the way it's been for like hundred thousand years. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it seems like it's not fair. Um, and, and furthermore, it just seems like it's not the right thing to do. Like, like if you're going to transition more power to you, but have a little empathy for the other, you know, for the females that you're competing against. Why not just go, you know what? I'm doing this because I'm doing this. I'm going to waive my right to beat the shit out of all of these competitors, which I know I'm going to do. I'm just not going to compete. It's going to be part of the deal because I have empathy for them. I feel for them just as I want them to feel for me. Yeah. Uh, you make a good point of why not just have an open gender division? Uh, because in certain things like wrestling, strength absolutely plays a role. But in something like longboarding, there is a real question around does strength play a role in it? And, or does it play a greater role than, let's say, a traditionally feminine trait like grace? You know? Yeah. Yeah, it's funny when you mentioned longboarding. I was like, okay, maybe that's okay. But I here's the other thing: it's obvious that Ryan has a love of competition. Like Ryan's been doing this or whatever. Sophia, what's her name? Sasha. Sasha has been doing this for years and years as a man named Ryan, and she and Ryan kicked ass in his division, and she at some point she. Sasha obviously surfs huge, whereas she surfed massive YMA. Uh, I don't even know where I'm going with this other than I'm confused. Well, so the subtext here to the story is that Ryan was um, unhappy as a male, living a lie, uh, depressed, tried to commit suicide. And so you're right, had competitive success as a surfer, as a male, but then living you know, with that depression ultimately transitioned into a much happier life now wants to continue competing, uh, in surfing Why? as, because that's part of the life that, he was was li- that she was living as Ryan. Well, unhappy uh, in a lot of other ways, but surfing and I guess competitive surfing was something that brought a lot of joy. And so yeah. she wants to continue doing this. So I think the, what really needs to be distinguished not just in your and my conversation, but I think in the much broader conversation is we can all have sympathy for the plight of um, gender, gender, yeah, gender dysphoria or trans people or whatever it is, absolutely can be sympathetic towards that. I don't, but there's a different conversation to be had about how do we Uh, have sporting categories moving forward. You know what I mean? Like certainly trans people weren't accepted for pretty much all of human evolution until now. And maybe they, and they probably still aren't largely. And so there was never that category. There was never an open gender category in the past. There was never a trans category in the past. So now that we're kind of rounding this bend towards acceptance, there needs to be consideration. Why don't we just Uh, have a trans category? Right. Trans category, I think, would solve it. And that would be kind of a a future conversation to have. But in this transitional time, you bring up a lot of great points, is that if you're physically able in very different ways based on your biological gender, the gender that you were born into, 
then it gives distinct advantage under the old criteria of the sporting events. Yeah. And that absolutely isn't then fair to the biologically born females. Um, there was a great comment on Beach Grit's article about this from a commenter named Balanced. And they kind of summed up a lot of this. They said, I support people being able to be transgender. I want them to have a warm and welcoming society. When I had a trans waitress one time, I found myself wishing slash praying for her to be happy and contemplating how difficult her life must be. But we can care deeply for someone and not give them everything they want. I say no to my kids because it would be bad for them if I said yes to them all the time. And it would be unfair to someone else. We can't give them everything they want in life, nor should we, when getting something is blatantly unfair to someone else. Uh, it's perfectly acceptable to say that we support you, Sasha, we feel your pain, but it is simply not fair for you to compete against women. The main reason there are men and women's divisions is because women are not as strong as men. Sasha, you may identify as a girl, but you have biological body and strength of a man. So it's unfair for you to compete against women. Sasha, you can compete as a girl in the guys division or in an open division or in a trans division. That is fair. See, it is possible to use common sense and still be kind and loving, but the new woke mentality is confusing lots of people to think common sense is sexist. Don't be fooled. Be kind to people like Sasha, accept them, but let's all keep being fair and reasonable as other uh, to others as well. Yeah, I love what he said. I think he, he helped kind of, you know, give this topic some clarity for everybody. And I would say that I, I sort of have a problem with, first of all, somebody explained to me recently that woke is just another word for empathy. Just have a little empathy for other people, you know, walk in their shoes a little bit. And what I find here is, and maybe I'm wrong, but I sense some hypocrisy of empathy. You know, like Sasha wants us and we want to be empathetic towards her plight, if you will. But she's not reciprocating the empathy towards these women in the women's division. Yeah. Well, it was funny. Um, in one of the articles I read about this, Sasha said that she emailed the contest organizers uh, before signing up as a woman and said, this can go one of two ways. The kid you can either, said it like no, that? Yes. She you said on a threat. Yeah. And she said, you can either accept me in the women's division and kind of, you know, uh, enjoy the publicity or whatever that come, excuse me, comes from that. Or you can do it kicking and screaming where in the end you'll look silly. And she said that thankfully she was responded to positively immediately from the contest organizers and she's had a great experience all the way through. And I thought to myself, what would the WSL do in this situation if, let's say, uh, whoever got bumped off the CT this year, didn't make the cut, but is still a you know, world-class surfer, decides they don't even have to transition, decides to identify as a female and sign up for the women's series next year. It, the argument could be made, whoever didn't make the cut on the men, 
based on the current judging criteria, would win a world title in the female division next year. I would argue that the WSL, based on the ideology that they purport, would absolutely approve of this happening. And this is all fantasy land now that you and I are, or, you know, that we're dealing in hypotheticals, but that would be a lot more, uh, that would raise a lot more concerns and problems at that level of competition than this situation does in the longboarding division. Leonardo Ferrovanti. <laughs> he, he could pull it off. He's got the name. He could probably go like Leonardo. He could pull it off. <laughs> but it's interesting because I honestly uh, is, don't think it it's that far-fetched. Well, I feel like you're sort of beating up the WSL a little bit here for something that, that it's just such a deep hypothetical. But, well, there's but no... I see that you are trying to you are basically kind of using the the recent framework of equality that seems to be driving the WSL decision-making and using that as a basis for this hypothetical situation. Yeah, there's no, I'm not beating up anything. I'm just saying uh, this is the way that things would play out and they're, and that's not far from a reality. You yeah. know what I mean? No, it's not. It's not. So they need to be thinking contingencies here. The whole thing's really fascinating in a weird, you know, like from a 30,000 foot level, like if you're just like happen to be come down on a spaceship and just be like, look what's going on here. <laughs> I think great. in any, I think in any transitional time, you run into these conundrums that you have to solve for, you know? And I think an open division or a trans division is a logical solution. I don't, for this. This, this idea of identifying as kind of, I think when it I comes just to commonsensically, I just, I just want a little common sense here. You know? When it comes to male, female identity, I could see somebody easily taking advantage of that scenario. I think people probably already have. I think that there's some, I, I don't know. I, I don't know. I'm going to say a bunch of shit that I shouldn't say, but I just, and I don't know because I'm not an expert, but I just sense that if you're unhappy, then no matter where you go, there you are. And it doesn't matter if you put on a hat or put on tits or shoot up some drugs, in this case, estrogen. You're still, there's nothing that's, the problem is it doesn't matter what you try to put between you and you. Eventually you got to look at you. Yeah. I don't think it's that <laughs> same type of, are we going to get emails? <laughs> yeah. We, we always email. do no matter what. I, I mean, I think the, I don't think it's that type of unhappy. You know what I mean? I but don't, I, I don't know. I just know that if you're like, I feel incomplete unless I change sex. So you're saying maybe that's not unhappy. That's just some, what is that then? What is some overarching unfulfilled? No, not overarching. Or? It's something embedded within, right? Like, I mean, think of it in terms of sexuality. If you're gay and you're living a lie, and pretending to be straight, yeah. then so you're that's not somebody that, who's unhappy right. putting on a happy face. Right. It's finally living a truth. Right. And then so, they are happy, you know, right. living the right. truth. Yeah. So okay. I think that's more analogous. Right. Um, Trying to but but then but the truth. question, but then the question then becomes at that point is if you are if you transition and you are living your truth, then what does that mean for 
society around you. And the truth is you've been ostracized forever. So, you know, you want to see a little bit of redemption, but how does that. There can't uh, be resentment. There can't be resentment that's driving any of these. So it affects society around you, your transition. And how do you then compete in an event essentially is what the question comes down to in this scenario. You don't get to. Right. That's kind of what, that's what balanced was saying. You you just don't get to, but guess what? You're fulfilled. Because it's unfair. But now you're fulfilled. That's what you wanted. Right. You know, if you want to compete, you get to be unfulfilled. Life's not until or 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 champion. You right and or champion for the rules to accommodate trans people for sure. Yeah, everyone would love it if there was a trans division. I don't see a problem with that. Right. Let's do a trans division. Problem solved. And if you're the only person in the trans division, you you get to be sort of the groundbreaker. You know, you get to be a pioneer. And more people will start to transition and then find their way into the competitive arena. All right, WSL, this is a way to be on the cutting edge is to it's create the world's a, first trans decision, division. It's such a crazy topic because I know that uh, on much larger, on a much larger scale regarding, um, I think there's a woman NCAA collegiate swimmer, a right. trans swimmer that's absolutely blowing the field away. And right. if you see her, she's friggin' a cut V. She's just like the most insane Olympic swimming body you've ever seen. She's basically a male swimming body. And again, may, I know, whoops, I don't even know if I'm allowed to say that, which is fucking bullshit. But it's, and, and that's kind of like, she's just blowing doors. It's just so obvious that it's not fair. Yeah. That it's bullshit. I'm sorry. Yeah. It's bullshit. Yep. Well, it's not fair I think to what's your daughter, it's not fair to my daughter, it's not fair to the billions of dollar daughters that are that are in this world right now. It's just not yeah. fair. Yeah. I think what's and I, I was is... just finished, but I just said life's not fair, remember? So I'm already <laughs> contradicting myself. I know, but what the thing is what we're trying to preserve here is sporting. The sporting itself and it's not the most important thing in the world. But sports are uh, really fun and they're really um, more than that. They are very, very important to very super important. And so we've created these parameters that allow certain physiology to reach its peak form, right? Like this, let's see how incredibly a male can swim or how incredibly a female can swim and then train these people for years and years and years and years. And so watching people compete at the highest level in something that they trained their body for is very compelling. So that's where this kind of comes in is that it's undercutting the design of the entire thing that's been designed for a very long time. Right. Because, you know, just think about like this, do you really want to watch an NCAA swimmer that's going to blow doors on all the other competitors. Cause it was a guy that transitioned to a female. Like it basically ruins the spectating. Like we already yeah. know who the winner is. Why do you even have right. the race? Yeah. You know, and that's what is going to get weird. Right. Right. I'm not. Yeah. And so fully agree. And so there needs to be, I'm absolutely for inclusivity and all that. And maybe the rules need to be redefined to where we're still able to see the peak performers competing against the peak performers in whatever rules that can help create boundaries for that, you know? But as long as we don't lose 
the peak performers doing the peak performing thing because that's the essence of sporting. Right. You know who's going to have an answer to all of this, don't you? No. Shukin. Oh, of course. Shukin's going to come in and, and mildly put it all right. Well, <laughs> Shukin, right. In, in the way that proper surfing puts it all right, I was going to reference for our musty moment, um, Jai Glindeman's latest clip. There's a little two-minute video of him riding some new Pizel, um, twin fin channel bottom thing. And I'm watching Jai going, dude, as long as you stay low, centered, keep your arms quiet, everything else solves itself. And I feel like that's Shukin's philo- his philosophy. Unless you're on an EPS. If you're on an <laughs> EPS, you're screwed. <laughs> well, no, Shukin's- That's just my bias. That's just my poly bias. That's what Shukin does for us philosophically. He's like, he just keeps his arms quiet, low and centered, and he can always drive into a bottom turn that way. Did you watch the thing on um, Hawaiian? Um, what's what, what's the right phrase for it? It's not Hawaiian. Anyway, Shukin sent me a YouTube video. And he's basically like, hey, this is what's going on in Hawaii right now. And it's basically that repatriation. Is that the right word? Hawaiian oh, okay. repatriation where, where the, the Hawaiians want their sovereign land back from the gotcha. United States. And um, it was a 34. 30, 30 minute clip by an Australian ABC news channel, like a news story, like an in-depth. So news what story. are the, what are the nuts and bolts of it? Like nuts and bolts is are, it, it's is it public land? Well, is what a public land? Hawaii? Well, no, who's asking for the land back individuals and they're going to get a certain plot. Where's is no, this no, plot it's, already it's, well, developed that's, by that's somebody else? That's kind of the problem is like, they don't, they don't really, def- they kind they do a good job of defining the problem, but they kind of lose a little bit of their focus. And then they don't really provide a solution other than a bunch of guys that are pissed off. Yeah. And I was hoping that there would be like, I'm kind of going, okay, so what can I do to help? And there was no, right. like nothing to do to help, you know? Right. Yeah. The United States Marines came in the late 1800s or whatever, and basically stole Hawaii from the Hawaiians. Right. Like that happened. Like, you know, like, let's not whitewash it. That's what happened. Yep. And it's bullshit. And, but how do you, how do you now solve that problem? Like, like, do you think it's possible? First of all, and then you've got the military, the importance of Hawaii as, as a, a military outpost, you know, it's yeah. crucial. It's uh, never, anyway. it's not going to be solved. I mean, there's no not, way to And actually... that's why I was kind of going, well, I was hoping that, that the people that are pushing for this would have been able to say, we know what the problem is, but here's what we want. Here's what we're hoping to achieve. Right. And I didn't get any of that out of, uh, other than I, I mean, there's like, they want, obviously they want to lift up their cultural pride. They want the Hawaiian language to be more embedded in their society. They're disappointed in all of um, what's happening with real estate everywhere, which is there's a lot of really wealthy people just buying everything up that's worth a shit. That's happening yeah. here. That's happening everywhere. I mean, in Bend, Oregon, you name it. Like it's, they're disappointed well, in like there's so they have a bunch of grievances which are all valid, but again, there was no okay. And here's here's what we would like. You know, it was just kind of at the end of the day, it was like some pissed off Hawaiians. You know, there's no way to make proper amends. There's no amount of amends that can uh, justify or make right what was made wrong because. The offense was so egregious, you know, 
and there's no actual amount of physical lands that can be properly allocated to the appropriate people. And by the way, the people in the meantime who have purchased lands, purchased them rightfully based on the existing laws. So do you then throw those people out of their house and home? So it's, it's unfortunately too complex. I would love for some symbolic gesture to be made um, that acknowledges the plight and all that sort of thing, but there's no actual amends that well, are great so, enough. And it's so deep that, that there's no good jobs for, for local Hawaiians. Like it's just such a tourist service industry that the white man brought upon the islands, right? That, that the plant, you know, the, the fruit oligarchs, they came, Dole and those guys, they came over and they just bought up all the land and created agriculture where there wasn't a bunch of agriculture. They like just ripped up the lands. And so now what is Hawaii from a working standpoint? It's a service and it's tourism. Yeah. And it sucks because if you're working in the tourism industry or you're in the, if you're a waiter in Hawaii, you can't even afford to buy a house. Heck no. You know? And so, and so it's the way, like you said, it's so complex. It's so intertwined in property rights. And, and so I don't know, maybe that's why they didn't offer a solution because there isn't a solution. Like, yeah. Yeah. We acknowledge how screwed that situation was, obviously. Totally. There's no two ways about that. Yeah. Well, Hey, we covered a lot of, uh, heady topics today scott yes but probably didn't do them fully justice but we talked a lot so that's something you shat in your wetsuit we learned that that's amazing (laughs) that's a problem when they're the thicker the wetsuit down there that's going to create problems for you in the future if you're if you're i'm gonna need a three mil suit (laughs) some sort of velcro entry yeah Uh, have you ever you know on the next have you ever yeah have you ever punched somebody have you have you ever verbalized a prayer of gratitude? Did you take surf pee in high school? And more. These are the types of questions that we're going to get to the bottom of with David Scales. Okay, can't wait. <laughs> okay, until next time, audio and